Digital Media and Tech in Dubai returns with episode 8, featuring Rami Zaidan, head of marketing for Angami, the hottest music startup in the MENA region. Launched in March of 2016, Dubai's top tech podcast focuses on bringing listeners informative conversations with local experts, exploring the latest trends in the digital media and tech scene in the burgeoning international capital that is Dubai. I'm your host, Spencer Stryker, digital media professor at the American University in Dubai. All episodes are recorded on location at AUD right here in the heart of Dubai's media city. In our one-on-one talk with All-Star AUD alum Rami Zaidan, we trace the story of his career, beginning with OMD, where he cut his teeth in digital marketing. While working at OMD full-time, Rami did his MBA at AUD in marketing, graduating in the class of 2009. Combining his background in computer science and professional expertise in marketing with his lifelong passion for music, Rami took over as head of marketing for Angami in 2015, launching the music startup's flagship office here in Dubai. We discussed the state of the digital music scene in Dubai and how Angami, the region's fastest growing music streaming platform, strives to define the vanguard of digital music business innovation. Topics include how to overcome widespread piracy, the redefinition of success metrics in the digital music age, data-focused approaches to marketing the music streaming platform, competing with heavy hitters like Apple Music and Spotify, and Rami's unique approach to identifying and growing talent. We hope you enjoy our exclusive talk with digital Dubai rock star Rami Zaidan, head of marketing for Angami, currently the number one music platform in MENA. Currently with a catalog comprising more than 17 million songs streaming to more than 26 million users, a fan base that continues to grow. So I'm originally a computer science graduate. I graduated um, from LAU in Beirut. And then I moved straight to Dubai to start my career. Uh, I was half, half born and raised. So I lived half my life in Dubai, half a life uh, in, in Lebanon. So it was only natural I came back. Mm-hmm. Um, I started working for a branding agency that had multiple disciplines of you know, building websites, brand identity, and stuff. And, I, and between, between you know, the computer science solutions that we brought forward and the involvement in the branding elements, um, I started building love for, for, for this balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved out from, uh, from the actual coding uh, the department and started marketing the product. And then found my way to selling um, a solution to another company called OMD that I eventually moved into and started working for. Um, the idea was for us to come and you know, sell them some sort of a tech solution for them to enhance their credentials. Um, and then when that went nowhere, they were like, there's two ways you can get into our, you know, get money out of us. One, a miracle to selling this project, or two, actually getting on our payroll. I and I sort of got my way into the media industry then. That um, was at OMD, you said? That was at OMD back in 2005. Okay. At the time, OMD was a very small company. Um, the, whole, the whole industry was offline at the time. There was not a lot of digital. Um, then the evolution of digital started, uh, and I sort of lived that with them. So it started with us opening up a, um, a digital uh, digital department, independent digital department, um, that were basically dedicated to you know uh, anything that has to do had to do with online transactions. That and was the early time, to do a digital department, no? 
Like what year was that when you started? That was 2000, uh, late 2005. Okay, that's pretty early to do yeah. a digital department, right? I'll, I mean, OMD has always been, uh, from in, on, on many approaches, an early starter. Mm -hmm. uh, they've always wanted to test how things, test and learn early before they launched. Um, so that digital department, you know, basically did the manual transactions. So like offline, you'd do it book manually with Yahoo, they would book manually with whatever, and the infrastructure was still not, uh, not, not that great industry-wise and agency-wise. Right. As that grew, eventually that, th that department sort of extended into, you know, mobile specialization, search specialization, programmatic, and, you know, uh, all, all that stuff. And, you know, eventually what happened is the whole department sort of meshed into one company. So the, the, the evolution of the media planner went from offline planner to a season when there was offline and digital planners mm -hmm. to eventually hybrid planners when everybody was digital. There was no such thing as digital and not digital anymore. Right. Uh, so I think digital the mobile department launched sometime in 2011 or 12. So it also came up before even anyone spoke mobile. Um, my role at OMD at the time was at the front end of client servicing. So I used to be a business, business unit director managing global accounts. Um, and obviously we had different teams. We had you know, the client servicing teams, we had the social teams, and we had the digital teams and hence and so forth, media ops and, and all of that stuff. Um, but there was never, in the evolution of the Media Planner uh, Foundation, there was never a holistic digital <coughs> planner. Mm -hmm. Because you'd have someone to do social, You'd have someone to do the planning side of things, and you had someone who does the media operations and optimizations, and you right. had someone. So there were, on a media plan at the time, there were multiple stakeholders. So it was never one person. So the digital team was a much bigger team, and so forth, versus an offline planner who would be just one person. Mm -hmm. um, and I think at the time when, uh, when I left OMD around a year ago, um, that was becoming more and more systemized because of all the tools that, are, that were being introduced. Uh, and because the programmatic scene in general was starting to enhance itself in a way. And by the time you left OMD, you'd been there for 10 years, yes. right? So, but that was, you also in the meantime did your MBA at AUD? Yes, so when I shifted from the, from the first company I worked with to OMD, um, I then realized that everybody we're working with from a client side are marketeers, marketing department, head of marketing, and right. so forth. So I felt, I felt so alienated. Um, and, I, you know, and my love of marketing that I originally always wanted to do, um, although my father wanted me to be an engineer, so we find halfway on computer science. Um, so you know, I, I, wanted to get, I wanted to get my marketing thing going. So I started my MBA uh, at AUD. It took me a long time to finish. Uh, you know, I sort of took it part-time. Right. But eventually it helped me a lot in sort of getting at par with what, um, what the client's language is, you know, what their objectives are, and all that stuff. And you worked through your whole MBA? Yes, I was still full-time at work. And at the time, in the media industry, it was officially an eight-hour job unofficially an 18-hour job, uh, but you know, you, you were racing time and it was a game of getting you know, the ads out on time and coordinating 10 million, you know, the agency and the client and the deadlines and global and local, and it was nuts. Yeah, um, that's a lot to do at once. I did, I did my PhD while I was working full-time, so I know, I know what that's like. It's, it's a hell of a lot of multitasking. Yeah, yeah, it is, and especially on a topic that I was completely alien to. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of sense of marketing and people sort of, what, what I learned in the process is, you know, marketing can become very subjective. You sit with you know, whoever and you talk about a marketing project, everybody has a POV, and yeah. a lot of things make sense. But if you go back to the marketing foundations of, of what it really is, 
is not something that you can just pick up. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that differentiate a great marketeer from a generic marketeer, which is the language or the genetic side of things, mm -hmm. and the knowledge of what to look at and what questions to ask and you know what data to look at and all of that stuff. So you come out of the computer science background, you get the MBA, you have 10 years working in the space. So in your opinion, what are those things that differentiate? What makes a great digital marketing person? So a great digital marketing person, first and foremost, is a, is a person that has a clear understanding of where the industry is going. Okay. It's not about a skill set of understanding how to work with tools, but there is a specific suave that's required from a digital marketing to understand how to navigate all the platforms. Because digital marketing, digital is, is not necessarily one thing. Digital is 10 million things. Um, brand comms falls into digital, optimization and programmatic and the data side of it uh, mm -hmm. is, is, is digital. And you know, um, and you know, data analytics is also digital. Right. So if you look at those three together, when someone says, I'm a digital marketeer, I'd sort of stop and say, what kind of digital marketer <coughs> are you? Um, because you can't be social and, 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 and an analytics person and an optimizer. and You, you just can't be. There are too many components. Um, you can be a strategist and understand the foundations of those three to navigate the team. With, but you just, you know, I, I still am to meet someone who has a holistic understanding and can navigate everything by hand. Um, so, so, um, so what do you consider to be your specialty within digital? So I'm a, I'm a digital strategist because I've been bred in OMD to be a strategist at heart. So I would work, you know, I would understand the different disciplines and understand how to navigate them. But today, for example, so I currently work at a company called Anrami. It's the it's Mina's leading on-demand music service. It's been in the market for three years, um, 21 million users. It's grown really, really fast. Um, but when we sit when we sit down to set up the team, you know, my team is now. And open, um, we're recruiting seven people. Okay. I need an analyst, I need a retargeting uh, person, I need a growth person for acquisition, I need a social person, I need a brands and communications person. So eventually it just adds up to multiple people with different talents in order for us to get that engine going. I see. Uh, because even if someone comes and says, yes, I've done optimization, and you come and say, fine, but to retarget, it's a completely different tech setup even than just doing acquisition. And then the data that sits somewhere, and then attribution. And so at, on, the, on the digital side of things, there was one thing that was completely different from where I was at the strategy uh, side of things. When I was at OMD, I was sitting at the front end of things. Mm -hmm. So I had a team doing lots of stuff and coming to me with recommendations and analyzed data, and, and, and it was easy for me to then go to the client and say, all right, this is what we need to do. This is how much budget we need to put. This is where we're going to put it. This is the timeline schedule. At Anrami, it's the, completely, it's the complete opposite. I'm actually sitting at the back end. We're structuring data. We're looking at what things we need to look at. We're, at, we're, we're creating multiple cohorts to identify what we're going to do with them. We're managing 15 markets, um, so it's not all the same. What music do they listen to? What genres? What time? How much? Uh, what mobile, what operating system. Hmm. Um, and then you sort of get back to the team and say, fine, let's start balancing our attribution and retargeting budget. So you, you know, need to do that. And the other person needs to do something else and you need to analyze together. And then we need a BI person to sort of identify habits in app and out of app. And so it becomes, it becomes a moving puzzle and you're sort of trying to connect multiple things together. You see this as a trend in the field of digital marketing in general that it's moving toward the back end, as you say, that's becoming more data-driven? Absolutely. And the reason why it is so, I think, is of two folds. One, there are more and more tools that are enabling that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, right. The I think where the market is today is stuck in between um, clients who have obviously bought into the fact that they cannot live without digital, so they're starting to invest in digital. Sure. But that is still in its in its early stages. So clients are still at I invest in digital. I invest on Facebook and YouTube. So you, you get what I mean. And then yeah. you get to understand to you know how much they can leverage the whole digital ecosystem, and not a lot of, not, and not a lot of people are doing it. So right. they sort of depend on the, on the on the fundamentals of digital, of you know display media and creating content. And most of them end up launching social agendas, but don't have solid content agendas for it. So um, I think what's happening with data analytics and, and the tools that are coming in, it's opening the eyes to both people who are involved in the planning side of things and clients to come and say, oh, we can do that and we can track it. Uh, because with clients, if they can't track it, unfortunately, it doesn't exist. Right. They're just, they're never going to be completely sure that their spend is valuable and so on, right? Yes, exactly. Um, although when we first started and we started launching uh, social media pages, you know, we'd come and say, look, you have a social page, but please stop giving me your print app to put there. <laughs> can, you, can you please create content? Here's a content idea that we can do. Yeah, and how do we measure it? And how do we link it to sales? And we go, you know what, you know, how do you link TV to sales? Right? Uh, and that discussion sort of started opening. So the analytics part of the business became extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, and not a lot of um, service providers have the complete solution all the way to analytics and econometric modeling that allows you to pin the sales dollar to the, to the media dollar and hence and so forth. So that was my latest stages uh, mm -hmm. at the company. Before I left OMD, we set up um, a digital department that converged all disciplines. We took creative, social media, social media monitoring, analytics, digital planning, uh, and content creation. Hmm. Um, and we put, all, we put that all in, in one agenda, and we called it Byte at the time. You so branded it. innovation, technology everywhere, oh, Byte. Cool. Um, so, so we launched that department. Did you brand that? Did you copyright yes. that? <laughs> Actually, it was for a, it was for a, a fast food chain, um, McDonald's. Uh, so that was the late, that, that was the last account I consulted for. Um, so when we went there, it was like we, you know, we have an initiative called Byte. So they bought into it because uh, they liked the name. But eventually, the structure was: look, guys, you can't. We can't just have everything sitting in different places. Right. People need to talk. People need to connect, share data. Uh, it's not a game of okay, this is what we're doing on social, and this is what we're doing in media, and this is what we're doing in creative. It all needs to be connected. So in your current role, <clears throat> you said you're hiring seven people. And I get the sense that, as you say, you're a strategist. You bring these components together. How many people do you currently have? Two. You have two, OK. <laughs> I have two people. Actually, I have three people. I have a person who's responsible for growth. Okay. Um, his particular role is uh, basically acquisition, retargeting, um, and, uh, and, and, and analytics at its fundamental, like, yeah, fundamental levels. Um, I have another person who's responsible for brand comms and activations. Okay. So he's like the brand manager of, on the team. So he's responsible for what we say, how we say, and so to navigate the overall structure. Um, so uh, Jad, who manages growth, is basically working on automated feeds, on uh, retargeting and creating of uh, working with, with the tools that we have and, and collaborating and integrating technically with Facebook and the likes. And Hisham works on you know, what are we going to say? We have a campaign. Mother's Day is coming. We need to create a campaign for Valentine's. We're launching this new release exclusively, and hence and so forth. And then we have a social moderator. Yeah. Uh, the responsibility of, of, of that person is obviously to keep 
keep the keep the feed rolling on the latest releases. So our so our social strategy today, maybe not strategy, but our social tactic now is just keep all the releases rolling. Uh, we have around 21 million songs, and we release around um, five or ten songs a day. So there's a lot of content that's constantly flowing, um, and between supporting established artists and you know, um, uh, artists that are just starting and artists who don't know what to do, it becomes it, it becomes a, a full task. Um, so those are our three disciplines. What we're doing now is we're sort of expanding that. Okay. So as you know, while working with Jad and Hisham, we realized, look, there's a there's a big opportunity for us to actually break down marketing into two parts. And we said, on on one part, we're going to have a growth team doing what, what Jad is doing, but with an extended scope. So they will be more technically involved in attribution tools, uh, dashboarding and looking at data, um, retargeting on an advanced level, moving from interest retargeting to dynamic retargeting, which is basically identifying what message you want to show a user based on the last action they've done on app or on platform. That's so it's very granular. It's extremely granular. The last it, action they did on the app. And it actually That's becomes one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. So it, 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 it officially becomes one-on-one -on -one marketing. Yeah. And it's so automated, um, hopefully becomes very accurate eventually, that you feel that the app is, understands what you want. And it sort of comes to, comes to line with, all, with where digital is going, with right. all this artificial intelligence and all of that. Uh, and unless we're able to smartly and accurately navigate what the next play would be, you know, there's what's the what's the benefit of using an on-demand streaming service like Algami. So the vision becomes, all right, guys, it's extremely important that when someone's using Algami that we have the right song after. Right. So there needs to be an automated system that we set rules on that starts shooting messages to the user, whether it's from the app itself through push notifications or in-house in ads, or on Facebook or on any other platform. Um, to ensure that we're sort of listening to the user and showing them relevant content. Mm. And then the, the next part would be, but hey, we can't just talk music. Uh, we need to develop a personality for the brand. Uh, people need to love us for what we stand for, which is lifestyle and empowerment of music. Uh, our current slogan is add music to your day. So between all the features that we have and the song libraries and the personalization aspect of things and preset playlists for your moods and activities, mm. you can add music to your day, whether you're working out or gathering and and so forth. So he becomes the person on creating campaigns that extend from the product features, so that we're not only saying, hey, new song, hey, new song, did you listen to the song? So we want to break mm. that and move mm. into, so that's the ne next pillar. Um, social media will then be broken in two parts to come and say, all right, let's stop working as a media publisher and, you know, post songs, 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 and start using our platforms differently, uh, and leverage social to its full breadth, as many companies are doing it greatly. Um, so you know, Instagram and, and, and would have its own feel and theme. Facebook is the same. Twitter can be used as the media, uh, as, as the media ticker uh, medium for all the songs that we're releasing. And we sort of start utilizing social as it should. Um, and while the social aspect of the discussion is not new news, it's something that <coughs> has been there for a while in terms of you must use Instagram differently because it's a lifestyle platform yeah. and Facebook is mass and Twitter is what have you. Um, but not a lot of people are doing it right. And if you look and we do the research, there are a couple of brands that are doing it greatly. Um, and we're sort of trying to um, uh, steal with pride and try to understand what they're doing and replicate <laughs> and sort of pride. learn and learn, learn how to go. Um, I, I have two questions for you, but actually, I think <clears throat> let's take a step back and just can you tell us more about Angami and what is the company? Uh, well, you already kind of explained it, but just 
more like a broad overview of the company Absolutely. and the history of the company as well. Absolutely. So, um, Angami is an on-demand music streaming service, which means that it has all the songs in the world. All you need to do is log in and start listening. Hmm. You search for any song that you want, and Angami will just recommend the next song that you need to play. Uh, you can create your own playlists or listen to predefined playlists. You can follow artists and check all their discographies. You can see what your friends are listening to, what playlists they created. You can share the songs that you want. Um, there are radios that have certain themes that you can follow. Mm -hmm. We started introducing uh, DJ mixes. We started introducing music podcasts. And uh, we are moving into uh, creating um, uh, sort of a channel for uprising underground artists specifically. Uh, those are the undiscovered people in the region. Um, so my question is, okay, so within the digital music space you have Pandora, which in the U.S. is kind of cooling off, right? Yeah. You have Spotify, you have, yeah. now you have Apple Music, you have yes. Google Music. <clears throat> the streaming thing seems to be the big new thing with yes. Apple getting in the game. So Angami is differentiated how? I'm, 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 it, because it's targeting this particular region? So Angami has three, three, distinctive, uh, uh, three, three distinctive elements. Element number one is um, the exclusive contracts that we have and the partners that we have in this region. Mm -hmm. Most of the content that gets released on Angami are exclusive. So when it comes to the Arabic side of the business, the Arabic music side of the business, exclusivity is a big uh, advantage for us. Right. And um, we also have Arabic songs and Arabic music videos, um, so which means whether you love a song, whether you want to listen to it or watch it in a video, you can. Mm -hmm. And the technical advantage of that, unlike other platforms in the market, um, is when you're watching a video and you want to lock your phone, or when you're watching a video and you get a WhatsApp and you want to move back, the music just keeps going. Okay. It automatically shifts to uh, shifts to, uh, to, to to the song format, and it just keeps rolling, which is a That's big cool. advantage. Yeah, because YouTube doesn't do that. Yeah, so YouTube has people. A lot of people have been used, and they got to the habit of listening to music on YouTube or downloading illegal music or you know, still buying CDs and hence and so forth. So what we're doing is we're saying, look, it's a very seamless uh, experience. Our our engineering tagline is: we have to be the most enjoyable. Uh, platform to discover and listen to music in any format. Um, we also have, um, uh, we're obviously a local company, so the second uh, distinctive element is that we're from the market, we right. understand the market very well, uh, we know the trends, uh, we know the insights, we know what people love, um, and we have a program that allows us to work with uprising talent. Mm -hmm. So yes, we have a strong relationship with all the labels, we have an amazing relationship with tier one artists, um, I'll elaborate on that in a bit. But then on the uprising talent, we make efforts to go and connect with them. Mm -hmm. um, so we co-create content with them uh, because basically artists make money off services like us by the volume of streams that they get. Um, uprising uh, stars you know, won't have that volume. So we go to them, we co-fund some of their work, we, uh, we produce stuff together. So we founded something called Anrami Sessions. Okay. What Anrami Sessions is we, uh, we go to an artist uh, with an idea. So it's not about producing songs, it's about finding that idea and going to the artist. The latest one we did that has around 3 million plays so far, and it was launched less than a month ago, uh, was a concept of the evolution of Arabic music. So we basically went to a YouTuber uh, who is a specialist in a cappella. His name is Ala Ouerdi. Okay. He's very well known in the, in, in the Arab world. And we said, Ala, we want we to create something that's worthy because of your unique style. 
after two months of brainstorming, we said, fine, we'll do 43 songs in six minutes from the 1900s all the way to 2015. <laughs> and he pulled it off. Seven months later, we launched the video. But uh, as it was an amazing project, uh, the actual video was... So he was, mixed them all together. So yeah. And so basically what he did is he created multiple versions of Ala in the video. So you'd have the beatboxer in the back and the snare and the backup singers and him. And he changed and, you know, he... It was also a video? It, in it was also a video. That's cool. I'll link to it in the description. To Absolutely. The I think uh, it was one of the best projects we've done so far. And that sort of opened up the eyes of, hey, you know, we can do stuff with, with those artists to gain traction for them to help them market themselves and get plays for us. So eventually it becomes mutual. Now, what was the name of that the collaboration that you mentioned? It, uh, the name of the song was Evolution of Arabic Music. Mm -hmm. But the actual name, you have a name for collaborating with artists. Uh, right? Amgami so. Sessions. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, and, and sessions and, and its brand format is not new to the industry. I mean, mm -hmm. Spotify globally has sessions, BBC mm -hmm. has sessions. Mm -hmm. And we sort of, instead of just creating a new name, we thought if, if people are used to it, mm -hmm. we'll have one as well. Uh, and ours is currently positioned at working with uprising talent and maybe doing collaboration between uprising talent and established talent in the market. Um, and on the, on the, um, on the tier one artists that we work with, we also have a very important program in building relationships with them. Uh, about a couple of months ago, uh, one of the Arabic artists, her name is Elisa, she's a big deal in the market, um, just crossed the 100 million streams on Amgami. Mm. So like they used to give platinum awards before, uh, we actually awarded her a platinum, uh, a platinum certificate and we said, you know, you, people used to get uh, a platinum certificate for a million CDs sold. I think that's a very interesting idea because, uh, that, like you say, those that hasn't caught up with the new way that music is distributed. Exactly. Right. It's still based on how many records you sold and who buys records anymore. Absolutely. Right? And what we're trying to do is we're trying to define the new metrics in the region right. to become the benchmark for anything. Right. So how fast the fastest song that has crossed a million, hundred million, and, and you know tier one platinum, bronze, or whatever the categories are, uh, and sort of making sure that artists get out of the um, get out of that sphere of I got millions of views on YouTube to you know understanding the overall ecosystem. Sure. Um, the benefits of someone like Apple Music coming coming to market actually uh, works in our favor and against our favor. Uh, I'm actually an avid Apple fan. Uh, but on my first day on the job, Apple uh, was announced. I was like, I'm going to battle Apple <laughs> on my first day on the job. <laughs> yeah, but um, I'm sure everyone in the digital music business was a little intimidated when absolutely. Apple got into But the thing is, with someone like Apple, I think they will accelerate that habit change where people will move from offline listening to on-demand streaming. And because of our size in the market, we feel that, you know, uh, because of our size and our partners and our contracts and, and, and we feel that we're in a position to you know, stand up against a brand like Apple. Uh, so on the competitive sides, obviously, it's something Apple keeps us on our toes, um, literally. Right. Um, and on, 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 the, on the other side, we believe that with Apple, the growth of the market and that adaptation to digital streaming is going to grow. Absolutely. Right. So they're going to help us grow the pie. But it's not only Apple. Google is in the business too, right? So Google Music is not officially in the market yet. Okay. Uh, Spotify is not in the market. Hmm. Um, you, mean, uh, you mean in the... In the MENA. In the MENA region. Oh, I see. Um, there, are, there are talks on Google opening up. Um, there, there are other uh, international players like uh, Govera. They're originally Australian. They're, mm. in, they're mostly active in the UAE. SoundCloud is sort of also popular, mm. um, but it's, it's, it's not legally set up. So a couple, I think last year, 
Um, they started restructuring because of the legal contracts that they didn't have. They eventually, I think, signed with Universal, if I'm not mistaken. And now they're sort of restructuring their business. And, and until the time they move into the on-demand streaming service, and I don't know if that is their strategy, um, what's happening now is the, the market is quiet. We're the only active brand. And we're sort of pushing really hard. Exactly. So when, when we sit in our quarterly meetings, there are three headlines that get spoken to. So we need to accelerate growth yeah. and initiate conversion. So Anrami is a free service, unlike any other music service. Um, so people can log in and start using it. In fact, you can also use it anonymously. So you just there's no paid component. There, there is a paid component uh, that allows you then to get rid of advertising, right. which is the way we make the, money on the free. The famous freemium model. Absolutely, and then you can start downloading songs. So the only difference is if you're free, you get advertising, you can't download. If you subscribe, mm -hmm. you can download and you can get rid of the advertising. Mm -hmm. uh, and on downloading, obviously, there are multiple formats, you know, credit card or from the app store or through telcos. Um, and how much does it cost? Uh, $5 a month uh, or $60 a year or $25 in six months. And sometimes we do promotions. It's cheaper times. than Apple Music then, which is $10 a month. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, which, by the Apple Music has no free version. They don't, but they have a three-month free trial. That's right, but I'm already through it. Everybody's through it, because we all got signed <laughs> up automatically. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, and, a lot, and not a lot of people uh, understand that they can deactivate that automatic renewal. Um, but, another, but a lot of people, um, and also not a lot of people, have their app stores set up properly with credit cards and what have you. So it's a little bit tricky when it comes to subscription. So, uh, our relationship with the telcos, we have a relationship with around 15 uh, telcos in the, in, the, in the region, from mm. Egypt to Morocco to Lebanon and everywhere. Uh, it's, a very, it's a very solid model, and we mm. depend on those partners to not only grow the market, because it's a mutual interest, they want to grow data consumption, we want to grow usage. Sure. Um, so we start working closely with them to sort of accelerate the habit in the market. So the more we talk, the more we always tend to say, look, before we start growing our business, Let's start understanding what's happening in the market and grow that habit. Um, if you go to Egypt, for example, you'll be sitting in, in, a, in a taxi, and the guy would have would have everything technically set up. You know, you'd have the USB um, in, a, in a jack, and you know, he'd have. You, you would know the guy's technically understanding what's going on, and it's not your typical CD or tape. And then you go, where do you get the music from? It's like from the internet. And then you go, well, which website? And you go, I don't know. My friend got it for me. And then we got to learn that there's a process where you take a USB and you go to a shop and you say, fill it up. And then you get all the songs that have been recently downloaded, you take it and listen to it. Um, and piracy is huge in that market. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to battle that, uh, first and foremost. Um, That's like a black market thing or what? Is it Mostly, mostly. Uh, I mean, uh, Egypt is 80 million people. So uh, if you remove, you know, the 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 the, the, the rural sides of things, you lose 40% of the market, and then you have the A B class and the B minus C class. Um, on the A B class, it's easy because yeah. there are people like us. They're you know they're technically connected. They you know a lot of them do subscribe actually, and then the mass were who sit in the B minus C. You know, th those are the people who are in between piracy and you know. YouTube and whatever. Somewhere in the gray area. So they're in the gray area. And you need to go to them and you say, but Angami is free. And then they come to you, no, it's not. I need to subscribe to data to listen to Angami. Mm -hmm. So here we start talking to Telco and say, Basically, look, you know, you want more data, uh, let's work together. And globally, it's been proved by multiple models with Spotify and other brands that that relationship between on-demand services 
and telcos works great in growing the market and facilitating things to user and facilitating the experience where the user doesn't need to think about, oh, I need to subscribe to Rami and I need to subscribe to a telco data plan and I need to whatever. It becomes easy. You pay once and you get everything. Now, wouldn't it be, <clears throat> the, I guess, a huge advantage for you is if it's, your app comes pre-installed on phones that are... We're currently in talks with uh, with multiple uh, with multiple brands. Um, the challenge with that, so so the prerequisite of that is um, there are two pillars on engineering stuff. So obviously the uh, user experience and what's what song plays next, mm -hmm. and the next part is technical integrations. So we're currently integrated with Sonos, uh, the multi-room speakers, Samsung uh, 360. Um, we're also um, integrated with wearables, uh, iOS uh, and Android, um, and uh, Chromecast. Uh, we're soon we're launching an Apple Apple TV app, uh, and so we you guys are all over. yeah. So what our strategy is, if it can play music, let it play on Rami. Yeah, I think um, that makes sense. And uh, when it comes to mobiles, it becomes <coughs> a little bit tricky because most of the mobiles are manufactured abroad, or most of the headquarters are abroad. So to run a MENA-specific integration has a long process. Sure, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. But we are in advanced talks with two brands, actually, uh, and we're hoping to start materializing that mm -hmm. uh, because we believe it adds value to them uh, as much as it adds value to us. And it, it would mass obviously massively accelerate adoption of your platform. Absolutely. Because people tend, there's a kind of psychological principle of defaults. People tend to just stay with whatever's the default yes. option. So if that's the if that's what opens music on yeah. their phone, right? Absolutely. I think accessibility is what's going to drive things. We know that a lot of people who've tried Anrami fell in love with it, but a lot of people know Anrami but are happy with whatever they're using. Right. It's going to be the early adopters that are going to choose your platform absolutely. for certain reasons. And there's a lot of them. I mean, our growth has been triple digit year on year so <laughs> far, um, and we we very much work extremely hard in protecting that. Can we talk? So let's go back to this. How old again is Angami? It's three years old. It was founded in November 2012. Okay. Um, closing to four years old in this year. And it was um, started in Beirut. It's headquartered in Beirut. So we are 52 employees, uh, 50 in Beirut, one me in Dubai, and one person in Egypt. Oh, so you're, out, you're like the flagship Dubai office. Yeah, so the Dubai office is meant to be the marketing and business development hub mm -hmm. uh, where we manage all the global uh, brands are here, whether it's the agencies, they're all headquartered here. A lot of brands are headquartered here. Um, so obviously this is, and Dubai is a business hub by its nature. Um, so that's the role of this office. Egypt is a completely different landscape on its own, so you mm. need someone there. Um, we have one person there, and we're hopefully going to open, um, our, we actually launched uh, Anrami in Egypt two weeks back with an, um, in like a small party. But you know we're, we're taking Egypt very, very seriously, mm. uh, and we're meant to set up a team there really, really soon. Uh, and then the rest of the team sits in Beirut, the design team, the engineering team, business development, so you legal, do everything finance. Through, um, you're, you're, con you're online all day long. You're communicating with your team. Yes, yeah. so, so as, as head of marketing and my marketing team sits in Beirut, I go there once a month on the first week. Mm -hmm. So we close the previous month and we plan the remainder of the month. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I come back to whatever I do here. Um, but you're Skyping a lot, I imagine. And we Skype that, a lot and yeah. we phone a lot on the go. Yeah. Um, but obviously, the, what facilitates what we're doing is the solid processes that we have. Right. Uh, as I said when I first started, there's a lot of components to it. And you know, my role as the head of team is to sort of navigate the moving puzzles, and then I I, I entrust uh, the team eventually to sort of bring it home, mm -hmm. uh, and they do. I'm, I'm very thankful to the great team that we have. 
and the one thing that really keeps Angami going is because people have so much passion for music, the people who end up working for Angami would, you know, their passion for music sort of entrenches the passion to the business. And you have that passion too. And I want to get to that, but just quickly, I want to I want to get to understand Angami. So <clears throat> let's see. There's it's been three years. It's three years old. You have 52 employees. You said you have 21 million songs, and you also said you had 21 million users. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so 21 million people have downloaded the app so far okay. till date. Um, and um, we're three years old. We mm -hmm. our, our our library is Arabic and international. I see. Equally strong and equally popular. <clears throat> and what kind? You're in. You're focused obviously exclusively on the MENA region. Yes? So uh, on. Yes and no. So um, on the Arabic side of things, our focus is global, okay. because our contract, our Arabic contracts are global. Uh, on the international side of business, we're focused on MENA. So we have a very uh, solid agenda on, you know, obviously growing our global footprint on the Arabic library mm. and ensuring that we have a very competitive... Uh, so anyone that's interested in Arabic music anywhere in the world, yes. in other words? Our diaspora markets actually is a big portion of our business. Yeah. It's almost 30% of our business. Oh, I see. And a lot of people who log into that are people who are sort of, they want to connect to their heritage and they want easy access to the Arabic music that they can't really find. Um, and we sort of... Keep 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 away of and a lot of a lot of them actually subscribed. Although on global markets there isn't a lot of advertising, but they get to download and use the music and stuff. Uh, so that's a very important side of our business. Um, it's not it's not at our top priority now to sort of let's grow U.S. let's grow Europe. Um, but eventually, I think once we cross once we hit year five and hence and so forth, um, I think we'll start giving more attention to how we're going to grow globally. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, we are a global app in Arabic, and we are a MENA contender, an international solid contender. Who are your primary competitors then in this? So in MENA, uh, our primary competitor is obviously Apple Music. Uh, so competitors are in two buckets. So you have Apple Music, Guevara. Um, those are the head-to-head on-demand models. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other side, you have the YouTubes and the SoundClouds of the world. But these are all these gigantic companies yes are the no are you have any uh, local startups that you're competing with on the on-demand music streaming side or the music business no there isn't there are small ones there's <clears throat> Bazika in Egypt um, there are a couple of them that just sort of surface and then disappear yes absolutely absolutely um, and then the third category which is the biggest category when it comes to competitiveness is piracy Okay. So for us, you know, with all of that, you know, we obviously keep our, you know, um, our, our heads up outside the water to focus on what the core competitors are doing. But then there's a big agenda on piracy. You know, we need to shift from people from downloading. Now, to is, is the is the piracy worse in this region, or is it the same? Like, because I'm American, and piracy is an old. We've had that yeah. going all the way back to Napster and everything. Is it worse here? Is it better? What? How do you? So, so I'm I'm not too familiar with how bad piracy is, in, but I know that there are more regulations globally mm -hmm. than there are here. Okay. Let's put it that way. Um, and when it comes to piracy, it, and, and it differs from market to market. UAE, for example, people are a little bit more digital savvy. Right. They have more purchasing power than other markets. So. It's not a big deal. They're most likely adopt to those technologies, yeah. and that's why App Music, Guevara, and many other brands have sort of started their operations from here. Sure. Um, and then you have uh, markets like Egypt, where piracy is just rampant. Yeah. So, um, uh, an, an album will be launched in, in Egypt. Millions of dollars would have been paid on sponsorship on that album, mm. and then the album leaks three seconds later, <laughs> and it's all over. The, it's all over the internet. Um, so, so it becomes. It becomes really, really tricky on how to balance that. Yeah. Um, but primarily, the whole piracy thing is 
is a result of people not wanting to pay for data more than even just subscribing because even if you're a fee service they just don't want to pay for data so the stakeholders in growing the music industry again mm. uh, is, are, are multiple it's mm. on-demand streaming services like us it's telcos it's technology uh, users like you know samsung or huawei and sony and, and so forth and obviously labels who have also been a great part of how we're growing our business and how we structure our contracts with them and how and how we map the future of, of, of music in this region. Um, and you know, it's, it's no secret to anyone that the music industry is sort of coming on a reverse curve from decline. Mm -hmm. um, so before the on-demand music streaming services, we all know that hard copies are dropping and artists have become very dependent on their tours and their, you know, uh, and their uh, brand sponsorships and endorsements to make, to make their money. Um, so now with on-demand streaming services, which has a lot of contemplation around the world on its economics and so forth, but yeah. it's, it's meant to breathe life back into the music industry. No, I think that's one of the most interesting things you said, which was <clears throat> about <clears throat> the work you're doing in terms of analytics is redefining how artists can consider themselves successful. Absolutely. What is success? Because as you say, uh, the music business has been in a period of rap of, you know, intense disruption for the last 20 yes. years. Um, and some artists have continued to be very successful and others have suffered Absolutely. and there are people everywhere in between. Absolutely. So you guys are positioned right in the middle of that. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, the, the metrics that are currently out there are, 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 are a little bit hazy. So people, a lot of, and I go back to the YouTube metric, I think YouTube has brought a lot of attention to how much potential there is to music with the numbers that they've been delivering. Uh, but it became uh, an, an indicative metric for us. So mm -hmm. today you look at a global giant like YouTube and then you look at Angami who's three years old and starting and people say, well, how many, how many plays can you give me? I say, it's not a game of play. If your song is good, it's, it'll fly. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually launched a, a single for Elisa two days ago. It just ramped half a million streams. Mm -hmm. So even a startup with three years old is able to drive uh, drive those metrics and then we go to the artist and we say look you need to understand that now you're not selling a CD you're actually seeding your songs on multiple platforms right. and if you want to grow your overall pie you need to grow all the platforms you can't just be focused on one mm -hmm. and a lot of artists are starting to feel the impact of Angami and and that's what's empowering all our exclusive releases and activations with them but the redefinition of the metrics and how to look at the success of, uh, of, of an actual song is, is, is finding its way to become a clearer, a clearer, um, a clearer metric now. Well, let's, uh, let's <clears throat> this has been a great interview, and I've really enjoyed learning about the digital uh, music business with a focus on, on this region. Um, let's talk about the passion component, because like you said, not only are the users of, of music apps passionate, they find the music, but also the people that work for your company are passionate Absolutely. about music, and then you're passionate about music. Yes. So can you speak to that, perhaps? What is your personal relationship to music and how you, how you view that? So I started, my journey with music, so I'll start with me and then, um, my journey with music started when I was in school. Um, there used to be a, a disco shop right under our house. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to spend a lot of time there because a lot of girls went there. Um, and at the time they used to come with a list of, we want those songs to be recorded on tape and we'll develop compilations for them. Um, then I started DJing. This was uh, in Beirut, this was in Beirut right. mid 90s. Okay. Uh, and then I started DJing. Um, ironically, I started DJing Arabic music um, and, and weddings. And, mm. and then I found my way to Mix FM and I became a hip hop DJ and I just 
fell in love with music there. Mm. Um, the, the, the energy of all the DJs there, and it, it was sort of, as I said, a revolution thing where we, we hated, you know, no talk shows, no one's allowed to do talk shows. We DJ, it's manual, it's on vinyls, it's on CDs at the time. Live music all the time, no machines, no computers. Um, and Beirut is a really passionate what music scene. As it well? is. It is one of the. It is one of. The, I think it's the leading uh, between UAE now and Lebanon. There are the two leading music hubs. Right. Uh, I mean, in Lebanon, with uh, there are less restrictions on timing, so you'd have parties that start at noon and end at seven o'clock in yeah, the morning. Yeah, I've heard uh, these stories. And yeah. you have on you know lots of the underground scene, and, and so it's it's a little bit more. Um, like Europe in terms of the scene it is. Yeah. In UAE you have a very active scene, but obviously there's a limitation of 3 a.m. and what have you. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, 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 li the music life there is just a completely different ballgame. So um, and then I moved to Dubai when I graduated. Yeah. So then there uh, it became a mix between, okay, so how am I going to continue? So I used to DJ when I was in university, so I actually scheduled mm. my classes based on Based on uh, when my shows were, and at one semester I used to I used to DJ from uh, ten to one, and I had a class that started at one, and I used to reach there at one thirty every day, and the instructor sort of took me aside and said, "Dude, <laughs> what's going on?" I said, "So here's the story. I work for Mix FM. My show is ten to one. That's not changing. I have to take your course because it's a prerequisite <laughs> for for my next semester. So we need to find a mid ground here. Uh, luckily we did, and I finished the course with a B. Thank God." Um, but yeah, so I used to schedule my life based on the radio shows that I had. Um, and then when I moved here, it was completely different. Um, I started the corporate life, um, I got married really young and started a family and I couldn't just balance music. So I sort of went, went, put that on hold for a while. Mm. Eventually, I, I wanted to get back. Uh, I started DJing here and there and then I started to do my own projects. And I had, I ironically had a company called Enram Mix. Uh, that I wanted to start, which was an on-demand streaming service, but for DJs only. Um, and then I met the investor who was starting up at Rami. And I said, look, I have a business plan. And he's like, dude, I'm, I'm sort of funding a much bigger company called Anrami. Uh, so maybe I can hook you up. Nice. Um, so I met them, we started talking, and then two years later, we met again after they've launched and stuff. And I said, look, we need someone for marketing. I'm like, so it all just yes. clicked for you. So yeah, so between my media background, my computer science degree, my passion for music, it all sat in that, in that cool. one position. And it's great when you can find like a kind of perfect job. Absolutely. In my interview, I actually said, look, I, ha I have my plan ready because I wanted to open a, a company like yours. Here it is. If you buy into my plan, <laughs> we're good to go. Um, and, that's how we, and, and that's how we started. Least did I know that there's a lot of things that I don't know. So when I moved to Anhami, I was like business unit director at one of the leading agencies in the market. Uh, consulting for big brands like Visa, McDonald's, PepsiCo, um, and then I come into Anrami, and then I realize there's a big technical gap that I need to catch up on. I see. So I started sprinting with the engineering team to understand all the stuff about SDKs and APIs and feeds and I don't know what. And I I had to sort of roll my sleeves and sit with the, with the juniors in the company to say, guys, it's me and you. So teach me. So, and then you know eventually when when I get to learn, we'll we'll add value. And that's how it worked. So I didn't come from the perspective of, hey, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. So I had to learn from everyone, literally. Uh, up until six months later, you know, we put our final strategy and. But you find that your music background <clears throat> really helps you to do the to do the job to Absolutely. communicate with to Absolutely. communicate with record labels, communicate with artists. Absolutely, because there's, so the, there are multiple components where music passion and knowledge plays here. Right. One, if our philosophy is all based on the next song to play. 
you're gonna have to understand what it means. And DJs, sure. I think more than anyone, have that. Right, because of in DJing, you, if you don't feel the audience and you know what's the next song that's gonna play, you're That's gonna lose really the party point, and the vibe. Yeah. So, and most of us are actually either DJs or actual musicians mm. uh, in the company. Our CEO is a keyboard player. Most of our content team are DJs. Um, I'm a DJ myself. Uh, so there's a lot of them. And we have people who listen to mainstream music and we have people who are listening to indie and underground. So you have a mix of everything. Mm. So th unless you have a passion for music right. and not that genetic passion of music where you put on your CV, I have passion for music, I swim and I read books. So <laughs> you truly need to have a passion yeah. for music. That's in your DNA. Um, because then only you will be able to you know, live up to the vision of what Anrami is um, as a business. Right. Um, and so the, when it comes to the team's passion, you know, we all, you know, everybody has different tastes. So there's always fresh perspectives that are out there. Uh, and obviously they come from different genres. We have hip hop DJs and we have dance DJs and we have Arabic DJs. So it's not about just understanding music because you need to understand the different genres that are out there. Right. Um, to, to make it happen and structure our playlists. The playlists is a big foundation of what we do. So we recommend playlists for you to hear. So if we're not able to mix man and machine between what the algorithm recommends and right. what, what the man sort of puts in there, it'll be really, really hard to set up a very solid system. Um, and that's why passion for us, uh, passion and culture becomes the first two components when we're, uh, when we're recruiting someone. And then we start saying, we'll teach you the skill, mm -hmm. but we need you to have the right passion level and culture fit first. Mm -hmm. And then we'll teach you the skill. And if you have the skill already, if you're coming in a manager position, we'll sort of leverage your strength and build a career for you, although we're just a startup. Uh, we're currently running into around the funding. Hopefully it goes well. Um, but uh, you know, the company's been three years uh, old. It's very solid. Its growth is very healthy. Um, you know, I'm very proud to be part of the team.